This is Creator Culture by Hashtag Paid. Hey, I'm Danny DeSatnik, and this is a podcast all about creators. No matter the size of their audience, the creators that come on the podcast are underrated and people I'd want to theoretically invest in. Today's guest is Annabelle Klein. She's a better version of your Discover Weekly playlist on Spotify. Annabelle's a creator on TikTok and Instagram, but more specifically, she's a music curator and the founder of That Good Shit. It's all directed at a mission of giving smaller and upcoming artists a platform, no matter the genre. Her content includes music recommendations, artist breakdowns, and other really unique playlists. Not only do people rely on her for her music recommendations, but what's so cool is Annabelle is so intentional about creating a community through her videos on TikTok. Before we get to the episode, here are three things about Annabelle I think you should know. One, the hip-hop duo Earth Gang brought Annabelle out on on their most recent tour to capture content and amplify the tour experience on TikTok. That's something you're not really seeing artists do. The second thing is she's built a brand beyond social media and throws curated concerts with different artists around the country. And the last thing is that Annabelle runs a podcast where she interviews upcoming artists on Spotify Live. Again, what you can hear through these three things is it's all beyond social. It starts with the content, but continues to make impact in many other areas. And with that, let's get to the good stuff. Here's my conversation with Annabelle Klein. How do you decide what artists to put on and what artists to celebrate and what artists to put on playlists and talk about and make videos about? At the end of the day, for me, it's all about how the music makes me feel like music that moves me is what I want to share. So I love sharing like in terms of there's bigger artists, like there's like the Jids and the Sminos who I just like their music moves me and I love them. And I've been a fan forever. At the end of the day, like I'm just a fan. So obviously those are the artists I'm going to put on for. And then like for the smaller artists, it's people that like, I think they have a sound that's original. Their music makes me feel something. And it's something I listen to on my own time. That's the main thing. If I wouldn't listen to it on my own time, I wouldn't share it. Mm, I like that. Like, so it's an automatic barometer for you that doesn't matter about external validation. It sounds like it sounds like you have your internal measurement. And if it hits that you're putting it out, it seems like that's kind of what you built your brand off of. Exactly. That's right. I've found like the more and more that I do this, the more I've realized that the more I remain like authentic in what I share and have very strong boundaries around like I will only share what I genuinely like. I just think I'm very transparent about my music taste and I'm keeping my content and what I share as true to my music taste as possible. So I think that's why people really like it. So yeah, I think it's really important for me to only share music I really like. How do you stay true to that though? Because I think that's the hardest thing in this creator space, regardless if you're in music or finance or whatever like subcategory you're in. Everything is based off of like views, followers, momentum, going viral. And so there's all these like fake signals being like, oh, Annabelle, like go do this stuff because this is what supposedly people like or it's what supposedly what people watch. Yet it sounds again like you have a very strong level of intuition. Like how do you make sure that you don't go off the path? There's some different things. I mean, first of all, it definitely takes trial and error. The first year that I was really doing content in TikTok and I started doing like paid campaigns for artists and people were asking me to share, it was really confusing. So I was like, oh, this well-known artist wants me to share this song, but I don't like the song. Like, what do I do? So I've definitely had times where I've shared music I didn't really like and it immediately felt wrong. Like I just had a bad gut feeling. And so as I've moved forward with doing all of this, I found the best way to stay true to my like intuition with the music is to utilize the power of saying no. 
I'm very bad at saying no. I'm a people pleaser. And especially the last few months, I've really had to exercise like saying no unapologetically. And I found that like anyone who reaches out to me and asks me to share something and I say no, doesn't really take it that badly because I think people would rather me like tell them no than share something inauthentically, you know? Yeah. It sounds like it's so important to say no. How long did it take you to muster up the courage? I know you said like throughout the first year, you were kind of going back and forth between posting stuff and promoting stuff that like you didn't really like, but how long from when you started creating content to when you felt confident enough to say no? Like how much time passed between those two? I would say like there were times when I said no from the beginning because it was like an obvious no, but when I really started feeling confident about saying no often was maybe about like six to eight months ago is when I really locked it in like, no, you know what? Like from now on, I'm going to unapologetically say no. And it was at a point when I was getting so burnt out with like my content and what I was sharing. And I still was keeping really true to sharing what I liked, but there was just certain stuff where like, even if I was overwhelmed and had too much to do, I'd say yes to sharing a song because I felt like I had to or that people were relying on me to. And I really want to help as many people as I can. Like my platform I built is all about supporting artists. So I want to support as many people as I can. But it came to the point where I was like, I'm just going to start saying no and I'm going to deal with the consequences. And it was like a huge positive shift for me, like finally setting in stone, like I'm going to say no more often. You know, what's cool is hearing, I think you said this in another interview where you're like, I didn't feel like I belonged or I didn't feel like there was a place for me in this industry. And then you start and obviously there's a massive place for you in this industry. But now what you're doing is putting these artists that are up smaller and up and coming, but those that you believe in on a pedestal. So it's almost like you're creating a space for the person that you kind of wish you were back before you started. Yeah. I think so. So when I was saying in interviews in the past that I felt like I didn't have a space for me in the music industry, it's like when I was younger, I knew I wanted to work in music. I always dreamed about it. But every time I would like look at different job descriptions of like music industry jobs, like A&Rs and stuff like that, it never felt completely right to me because like I knew I didn't want to work at a record label. And I knew that like I wanted to be behind the scenes, but I wanted to remain a fan I wanted to not have to act too cool. And I wanted to be able to be really excited about the music I love and like go crazy at concerts. And, you know, I just never really saw a job in the music industry that allowed me to do that. So now I feel like the space that's being created with like the music content creators and this really fun, like intermediate place between like being a fan and being in the music industry has allowed me to like utilize my enthusiasm to create a career. And then like, you know, share that enthusiasm with my audience, encourage more people to be happy and enthusiastic about music. And yeah, put all these artists onto a platform so that they can be enjoyed by everyone. It's funny how it always feels so big and it always feels like there's no space. And then you do a little bit of digging or you you just start on something. And next thing you blink and you're at like whatever, 100 plus K followers, you got your Discord, you got your shows, you got your merch, you got your playlist, you got your Spotify green room, you got like so much going on in the short time span of two years, yet you probably had years thinking like, ah, there's no space for me here. I can't find a space. But when you started, now it's just grown exponentially. It's so cool to see. It's really cool to see. And I think like I've gotten used to my condition now. I've gotten used to my career a bit now. But when it started, like I would wake up every day like, I can't believe that this is happening because 
when I went to college, I gave up on pursuing music. I studied environmental studies and philosophy, and I was going to go to law school and do like environmental law, which I was very passionate about and I loved doing. But especially my last year of college, I was having a major existential crisis about like, damn, I really gave up on my dream of being in music. Like, am I going to die regretting not chasing that dream? And then when it happened for me, it happened so fast. Like, that first year of this all happening, I would wake up every morning and be just mind blown that like this dream came true. And I think that's why I work so hard now, because like now that I've seen that dream become real, like I will not let it die. Mm. When you say that, like the regret factor was so overcoming and so overbearing that like you had to take action. A couple of my friends who are creators and some of the creators that have come on this podcast have said that they knew they wanted to create content, but it would take them 30 to 100 days to actually like create that first piece of content and put it out. It's interesting that there's this commonality. I bet you if you were to talk to many creators, some so many have this regret, like to your point, if I don't do this, I'm going to feel worse. But how much time passes before they're able to? Do you find that that's common with the other creator-esque friends that you're with, that there was this level of regret? I think it is. I think so. Yeah. I think a lot of people I know who are creators, founders, anyone who's really gone off to like create their own thing, thought about it for a long time before going for it. And there was that aspect of regret, like, uh, if I don't do this or what if I had done it sooner, it's really scary to put yourself out there. And so for some people, like it just takes a lot of time to muster up the courage to do it, or it takes like a coincidence to push you to happen. I know for me, like, I never really conceptualized that this is something that would work for me until I put something out there and saw it work. And then I like had like this time where I was just taking an idea, making it real and seeing it work. And that just felt like magic. And at that point, I was like, well, now I have to keep doing this because like anything is possible, you know? What was that point? Do you remember? Was, was it a day? Was it a moment? Was it an email or like a DM? where you being a creator, but also this music curator and actually making a career out of it like felt so real? Yeah, I think like the big real moment for me was, I think it was maybe February or March of 2021. I had been doing TikTok for a couple months and it was going well. And then I had just started that good shit. And I made my first hoodie that said, like my first merch was these hoodies that said, I made you a playlist. And it said that good shit on the front. And I went and I bought a hoodie from H&M and I went to a small local printing shop. I lived in Eugene, Oregon at the time. And I drove down to this little local printing shop and I got this hoodie printed and I got in my car and I looked at it and I cried. And I was like, I like built, I had a concept and I made merch and like it's embodied on this sweatshirt and I do this shit. And it was just like, that was the moment where I was like, okay, this is happening for real. Where's that sweater today? It's in my closet. Will you ever wear it or is this now like a relic? Like you're, you're not touching it? Uh, I'll wear it once in a while. It's kind of a relic, but it lives in my closet. Most of the merch that I've made, I don't even have. I've given it all to friends or sold it. So I only have like two or three pieces of that good shit merch with me still. But that sweatshirt I will always have. Yeah, well, you talk about how there are these moments and like, that's an internal validating moment, moment, which you don't hear that often. Usually it's like, oh, this person reached out to me or this person or this thing said this thing about me. True. Now it feels like it's real. And I was reading and I think it was an interview with you. It was a written interview. And you said something like what really guides me is the future version of myself. Like I picture today in my head and always try to put myself in her shoes. How can I show up as my future self today? That's 
so powerful. One, how do you figure out, like, how do you know where you want to go in, in future self? And then how do you continue to have the awareness to do that? I haven't heard that many people say that. And the interesting thing that I'll say last is the people that I have heard say that are some of my favorite artists and who are creating art for a future that they believe people are yet to recognize. I know that like at the time when I kind of came upon that philosophy for myself, like I had a minor in philosophy in college and I was always like very spiritual, very introspective. And so I would think a lot about, you know, just these different ways of thinking and, you know, just different philosophies in my head of how I can go about like living my life and how I can make things happen. And I also was smoking a lot of weed at this time. Like <laughs> I had just started smoking weed when I started this career and I credit smoking weed to a lot of my creativity and drive at this time in my life. But like every night I would like come home from work. I was working at a restaurant and I'd smoke with my roommates and I go up to my room and I would meditate and journal and like philosophize and just like really plot about like, like, what can I do with my mind to like best create like my future and make the best out of the situation I'm in? Because like I said, like I had a dream coming true and I was just feeling very mystical. And then one night I just had this like realization smack me in the face. And I was just like, there's this snapshot of like my future life in my head that I picture when I think about my future, when I'm planning or when I'm like dreaming and then I'm like, well, what if I actually like look into this snapshot of my future? I see Annabelle at like 20 something. What is she wearing? What is she doing when she wakes up in the morning? Where does she live? Like, how does she encounter problems and solve problems? So instead of saying like, oh, I wish I could like, I wish I was 25 so I could deal with things like this. I'm like, why don't I just do that now? And so that's just something I started, you know, trying to do in my life. And it ended up being really helpful. And it's something I still need to remind myself of once in a while when I'm stressed or when I'm like lacking creativity, I think, okay, how would future Annabelle handle this? And if I can imagine a way of her handling it, that's something I can do right now. You know what's so impressive about you is everything is internal, dude. Everything is intuition. Like you're saying, curation comes feeling. Like that's just internal. You, like the moment that you felt it was real, internal. Because you cried when you saw that you created the sweater and it like represented what you had done talking about how you put yourself into future situations and then use that as a guide to act today, internal. Like your intuition scale must be like some of the greatest in the world. I don't know how you, I don't know how you tap into that. Did you find that even, like I wonder if it's, same, if it's the same growing up. Did you find growing up, like it was always easy for you to tap into your feelings or always easy for you to make a decision based off of what you felt? I mean, yeah, I think like I'm a really emotional person. I'm a Pisces. And so I've always been like really in touch with my emotions. My father is like a very emotionally intelligent guy who would always like talk me through any problem in my life in a really emotionally intelligent way and always taught me to trust how I feel. And so I think from a young age, I learned how to trust how I feel. And I also just know that like, I want to be in the best relationship with myself possible and trust myself at every turn. Cause at the end of the day, like you really only have yourself. So I think just over time, I like have learned to have a really good relationship with myself and like my gut feelings and time and time again, every time I've trusted my gut, and my intuition, it has been right. And so I see no reason to not trust myself. Well, I didn't know where I wanted to bring this up in this interview, but I feel like this is a great time to do so. I heard in an interview, both audio and then it was written, I think, in another interview. One, you said that your favorite interview related to music of all time is when Rick Rubin interviewed Pharrell at Shangri-La. 
And then in another interview, you said like the person you'd love to interview is Pharrell. And the most interesting thing is that Pharrell is all feeling. What is it about Pharrell for you that gets you so connected and so interested? It's exactly that. The way that he talks about music is all about feeling. Because I feel like when I first started really getting into music and still now, like I don't know a lot of specific terminology around music, how to describe certain sounds. Like I don't have a strong music vocabulary, but like, I know feeling and I know how music makes me feel. And that really determines a lot of my decisions with what I share. And I just love how music makes me feel. I think it's the most beautiful thing in the world. So every time I hear Pharrell speak, he's always talking about feeling. And like Pharrell, any song that he worked on, you immediately know it was him because it has the Pharrell feeling, you know? And so I'm sure people could break that down and be like, he uses these specific drums and da da da. But you know, at the end of the day, like, He's very much all about feeling. And that interview with Rick Rubin, he says, like, it's been a while since I've watched it, but he's like, when I'm listening to a song, if it doesn't make me feel something, I don't know what I'm listening to. Like, I can't even, like, really understand, like, what's playing with the song in front of me unless I can feel it. And I felt that so much. I was like, someone gets it. So, yeah, I think I'm just really inspired by how he operates, you know, based on feeling and emotion. How do you help other people tap into feeling and emotion. I think like, obviously that's part of your brand. You say it's that good shit because it covers, it's just good shit. It, there's no genre, like a genreless. How do you explain it to people? When people, when you say, when someone comes up to you and says, what do you do? Or what space of music do you represent? How do you communicate to them that like, it, it's just a feeling and it's a feeling for you and a feeling for others? Yeah. Well, when I first started that good shit, I described it as like, that feeling that wells up in your like chest when you hear a song that's so amazing, you can't believe it. You know, when you hear a song that's just like you love so much and you just feel that excitement like bubble up in your chest, like right here. That's how I originally described it. It's that feeling of just like pure excitement and disbelief that this song is so good. That's how I would really describe it. Like now I describe it like um, artists that make music that's impactful, artists that make music that, you know, is original. And I don't know, at the end of the day, like, I just share music that makes me feel. I found that that's also music that makes a lot of other people feel. And I can't say like all the music that's going to impact me emotionally is going to do the same for other people. But a lot of people have, you know, felt the same way about the music that I feel. So yeah, but when I originally started that good shit, I literally described it as that feeling that you feel in your chest when you hear an amazing song. So what is the most recent song that you've listened to or artists that you've come across and not your own artist because there's a bit of self-interest in there. But what is the artist or what is the song that you've come across recently that, that's given you that feeling? The most recent one is Wild Animals by Liv. She just dropped it like a week ago. Okay, I'll have to... Really amazing song. Uh, like the melody of it is just gorgeous. And then also Nothing I Can Do Is Wrong by Mike has also made me feel a very great type of way. Okay, I'm going to give you my song. Are you a Stormzy fan? I actually don't listen to Stormzy that much. Okay. Well, he just released an album, but there's a song on that album called This Is What I Mean. When I heard it, I was like, I'm listening to a feature film. I again, I, I'm the same way as you. I don't know how to describe music. Like, I don't even know how to describe genres, but that song. And I'd be interested to hear, once we get off of this recording, if you feel any some type of way and if maybe you can describe the feeling better better than I can. Yeah. Oh, I'll definitely give it a listen. I just wrote it down. So I'll check it out. But yeah, I mean, like when I was like making, I started making my TikTok, started posting on that good shit. A lot, a lot of the playlists I would post about was like, 
songs that feel like this songs that feel like this so it's easier for me to like categorize music based on a feeling rather than on like a genre or like a specific category in that way if you look through all the playlists I have in my playlist library which I have like just under 700 playlists right now they're mostly all categorized by like a very specific feeling and I think like I've never been great with expressing myself with words and through music is always the best way for me to like capture a feeling. Do you create music? So I took piano lessons growing up and I was really good at it at a point. I can still play basic piano and I can still read music, but not that great. I play a little guitar, a little ukulele and I DJ. So I do like a little bit of musical stuff. I really want to learn how to produce, but I just need like a few months where I don't have that much going on so I can like take the time and become really good at it. If you were to say who you think your sound would feel like, like if you had like two or three or four artists that you could throw into a blender or even producers that you throw into a blender, just based off of who I love, I think this is what the sound would feel like or be like. Is it fair to ask who those people would be? Yes. Well, I think like, I have no idea what it would sound like, to be honest with you. Like, I really don't know what would come out of me, but I think it would be, like a mishmash of knowledge, Gwen Bunn, my friend Ale Aria, and maybe like 454. (laughs) But that's what's wild about this is I look at all your stuff and I look at your playlists and I hear you talk in interviews and I'm hearing you drop artist names and tracks now and I'm like, I have no idea who you're talking about yet you have such a strong community and you reach so many people and there's so many people that are flooding to your shows and i think it's like the beautiful thing about influencers creators artists whatever that type of artist is there's so many pockets and i feel like you can own a pocket and there can be a hundred other people that can own a different pocket it's not like one person wins because to your point it's so global would you say that you've defined a pocket as like upcoming rap hip-hop defined pocket exactly I think like what I'm trying to do is really community driven so I think like the pocket I've carved out is just like a whole community of underground artists across genres I definitely think that the strongest pocket within that that I've gotten involved in has been like this underground alternative hip-hop pocket but it existed before me and it will exist after me but it has been really cool to you know work within this pocket of like young abstract hip-hop artists who have like a love for jazz and like crazy abstract rhythms and stuff like that but yeah it's hard to say if I've carved out an exact pocket I don't know it's hard to see like from the inside for sure I bet you in like five years it'll look back and be like oh it's so clear where you were going but now to your point you're so deep in it it's hard to figure out and you don't have to figure out what it is Yeah, we'll see what happens. I forget what artist it was, but they were just saying, oh, I just have my head down and I'm working, I'm working and I pop up once in a while. I see where I'm at. I see where I've been. Then I'm like, okay, cool. And then you put your head down and keep working. And I feel like that's where I'm at right now. Like I'm trying to focus on my day to day. And I think about the big picture often, but I'm really just like super present with what I'm doing right now. Like I'm just taking it one step at a time. (laughs) On that point of what you're doing right now, What is the space that you're carving? Talk to me about the music curators as creators on social platforms. Like, what is that space like? And what does it mean to be a music curator, let's say, on TikTok? Right. So when I started out, I saw a couple other people on TikTok 
that were calling themselves music curators and they were sharing their playlists that they made. They were giving song recommendations and they were talking about artists that they liked. Um, and I started seeing that pop up and I was like, oh, there's like a community of us. That's cool. Like we started calling ourselves like music talk and that started expanding onto like Instagram. And there's been people on YouTube who did this before we did like people like Anthony Fantano and Sean C were kind of like, the music reaction people. I think those are really the OGs of like the music and content like intersection, but TikTok allowed it to just have a whole new life. And so what it's turned into now is like music lovers can go on the internet and just nerd out about music and build communities. And that's really what this all is. Like it's music nerds building communities around like shared music taste. And so now it's getting to a place where the music industry has recognized how powerful this content is because obviously TikTok runs everything right now. Instagram runs everything right now. And so being able to like fit their artists that they want to help promote into this content can have like a huge impact. One video going up can get an artist like millions of streams on a song. So now it's starting to become this really interesting intersection of like music nerds getting support from the music industry to like nerd out about the artists that they want to promote. So it's really interesting. And we're right in the pocket of like being fans and music industry professionals at the same time. Mm. Reminds me of the blog era, but just 10 years later in a very different and maybe more of an interactive form. Were you into blogs when you were growing up? I was not into blogs. I didn't really read music blogs. I watched some like music YouTubers, but I wasn't super into the blog era, but I hear a lot about it. People tell me about, you know, the blog era all the time and having my own like blog. It's something I definitely want to be more like aware of, like that history of all the iconic blogs. But yeah, the only blog I'm like super aware of that survived that era was like Pigeons and Planes, maybe. Okay, so when you're talking the impact that let's just say like music curators or or creators that cover the music space on TikTok will have. Can you give me an example or examples of how the dynamic has shifted and like what's happened and how labels and other parties in the music industry have now approached and are working with people like you and and others that are in the space that are like, oh, you know what the leverage and the power really is with you guys building community? Yeah. So there's been so many times where like I'll see, you'll see like a music TikToker make a song about, uh, make a video about a song And then that song will blow up and get millions of streams. A recent example is um, Frex had this single called Oxford Circus that started picking up on TikTok. All of the music TikTokers started posting about it. It hit like number, I think like 30 something on the US viral charts and like every label wanted to sign her. We had her at one of my shows recently and a bajillion A&Rs came for her. And it was because like TikTok really picked that shit up. And now like, the ways we're seeing it change is like major labels hit up all of the music TikTok curators asking us to partake in campaigns. They're running entire TikTok campaigns by taking a budget and splitting it up between TikTok curators saying, hey, we'll pay you X amount to post about this song. And now there's entire agencies being built around like TikTok curators sending songs from labels. So it's becoming like a massive thing. And even 
in like the IRL space, you know, like I'll never forget February of this year, I got to go on tour with Earth Gang and they literally just had me come and make TikToks. And I don't know if anyone's done that before. And so it's really cool um, seeing, you know, like the major industry at large, recognizing how important our work is. At the same time, they are already trying to take advantage of us, but that's how it goes. And we're smarter than them. And so we're actively working against it. And I think what's also cool that a lot of people don't know is all of these music curators and creators, we're all friends. We all talk. We have group chats. So we're really sticking up for each other and like being very intentional about how we move and what we're going to do in the future and how we're going to impact the industry. Because at the end of the day, like I said before, we're all fans and we want to make sure that artists get the treatment they deserve and that all of us get the treatment we deserve. And so it's been really cool to watch us move as a community and seeing the impact that we've been able to make has been really, really cool. So if you could change one thing as to how the industry is either taking advantage of you or taking advantage of artists or doing something that's negative, what would be that one thing that you would look to, either that you're actively looking to change or that you would want to change? I think right now there are a lot of agencies that are going and signing music curators, bringing them on and sending them campaigns to work on and paying them way less than what they should be paying them. There's some agencies that like grossly underpay these music curators. And because like a lot of us, when we get into this, there's no guidelines for how much you're supposed to get paid, how much you're supposed to ask for. Like if you've never freelanced before, you have no idea what you're doing. And so there's a lot of taking advantage of creators like that, or like people will hit me up and offer to like, send me like a CD or like send me stuff in exchange for like a video. And when you get to the point of where we're at and the value that we provide, it's a little insulting. Like, I think it's important to remember, like, it's not about money. Like, I don't do this for the money. I started this not making any money. But when I do this, like, full time now, and, you know, if labels have all this money and they want to get us to post a video, they should pay us fairly. Mm. That's all I got to say. <laughs> don't worry, we won't go on the record. You don't have to blast some names and, and put people on ice. But what's wild is that like history repeats itself. This is the same thing in the influencer marketing industry. It was always like, we'll send you product and post, and we'll send you product and post. At the beginning, it didn't matter how big your audience was. It didn't matter your influence. It was like, here, here's a cool product, post for us. And that set standard. So it's cool to hear how you... And your friends and other music curators are like, no, no, we're noticing this. Like, if you want to work with us, if you want to be part of our community, tap in. Or like, you and your artists are, are left to go to pay music blogs that have no pull, have no influence today. So it's cool to see that there's so much leverage that you and your friends have. Yeah. And we're really trying to, um, you know, just do this the right way. I think like for me personally, it took me a long time to even feel okay taking money to do a post. I worried that it would just fuck up the dynamic I had with my content. But once you start to realize the impact this has, like this is a real job and, you know, we make real impact in this industry. And so I think that it's important that we learn how to stand up for ourselves and not take that like you should be grateful bullshit. Important. <laughs> yeah, maybe the first time it happens. Maybe the first time Atlantic Records, for example, hits you up. Cool. Like nice to know that there's a nod. 
But then moving on beyond that, yeah, no, it's a real job. And so glad that you're standing up for yourself. That is awesome to hear. Let me ask you this, though. You talk about Earth Gang and how Earth Gang brought you on tour, which I've heard you talk in other interviews about it and you get insanely giddy and you're like, it was the coolest experience ever. And I put myself, like, I wasn't sleeping, but I just had so much excitement. What was the relationship like there? And do you see that as like the big opportunity for artists to work with creators in the future? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a huge opportunity. I think that bringing a creator on a tour is super valuable just for like boosting interest in the artist, boosting interest in the tour. And people come out, will come out to the show to like see the creator be a part of it. Like I had people in London like say like, oh, we came to the show like so we could meet you. And so I think it's a really good tool for artists to use. But I mean, like that dynamic, like that whole experience was so beautiful. Like I just had the best time. A, like I'm a huge fan of Earth Gang. So just being able to hang out with them and make videos with them was really fun. Their whole team was amazing. And just as a creator, I think it really was a big moment for me in terms of like getting credibility. Like people cared enough to bring me on tour with Earth Gang, you know? And so what was the original question again? I was just asking in terms of where it where it goes, because to your point, you talk about your relationship with Earth Gang and yeah, them to pay you whatever they rightfully have to pay you is probably so much more value to their future audience, to your audience, because to you that it feels like it makes so much more sense than putting thousands of dollars into something that's maybe a little bit more archaic. So do you think that more artists are going to do what Earth Gang did with you? And like, is that a big opportunity? Yeah, I hope that more artists do it. I think it needs to be done tastefully, though. I think if every artist starts like bringing an influencer with them on tour, it's going to lose how special it is. So I feel like where there's a fit, if an artist is smart enough, they'll find like a music influencer to come and like help them make content and stuff like that. I think it's a great idea, but I think it needs to be done with taste. Because otherwise it will become corny and lose its value. Mm, if you could go on tour with another artist, if like you had your pick right now, who would it be? <laughs> I want to go on that damn Jin Smino tour. Okay, <laughs> okay, sick. I feel like it's so possible because I was having the conversation with a friend of mine a couple weeks ago. And it was a little bit radical, but it was kind of the idea of, do we need music videos anymore? Versus could you just pay a creator and say, hey, creator... Here's all the tracks. Here's the feeling behind each track. I kind of want you to create like mini music videos for each track. And yeah, if it's a trending sound or a trending video, but it feels like that's so much more impactful than putting $100,000, unless maybe it's with Cole Bennett, who that's like a cosign. Do you think that would ever become a reality where artists would turn to creators as the content engine versus putting so much money into like a traditional music video? I could definitely see that. I could see that happening. I don't know. I think for me, when I think of music videos, I think it's really just about artistic expression for the artist, like taking that world that they have in their mind with the song and making it real. And so I think that's an art that's never going to be lost. Like, I think music videos for the sake of expression are always going to be a thing. But in terms of like impact, I could definitely see artists like pairing up with content creators to do like a music video alternative like that. I think that would be most impactful if an artist teamed up with like a well-known like graphic design influencer or do you know who uh, Rhymes Like Dimes is? I don't. So Rhymes Like Dimes is this really dope graphic designer. He actually designed this shirt that I'm wearing. 
but he like made a visualizer for knowledge. Like this is a knowledge tea. He made a visualizer for one of knowledge's songs. And I think maybe even animated a music video and it went crazy because everyone loved this designer's work and everyone loves knowledge. So I think if artists start pairing up with content creators, they got to pair up with like a well-known creator in that space and make it like a really cool collab. I can see it happening. What I'm hearing is story. Like there just has to be such great story because that leads to feeling and that leads to emotion. What are you most excited about in terms of working with artists in like the next 12 months? I'm really excited to do more interviews as I've been doing more and more interviews. That's been my favorite thing to do. I just love like connecting with artists and helping those press walls come down because I feel so bad these artists get bombarded with the dumbest questions and just like the weirdest energy and it's been really nice to like sit down with an artist make them know that like I want them to feel safe and comfortable and have like a really cool conversation so that's what I'm looking forward to most is like the interviews that we're going to be doing for sure and I'm also excited for doing more shows like I just love being able to curate lineups and have that like feeling and emotion that these artists bring me, like go out to a crowd. So those are the two things I'm most excited for. Okay. I want to learn more about those two points. One, both selfishly, but I think it's also interesting for everyone listening. So you talk about interviewing an artist and bringing down PR walls and just not asking stupid questions, but asking questions that really mean something to them. How do you go about that? How do you decide what questions you're going to ask? Like, What's your approach to interviewing artists? I'm still kind of a beginner, so I'm getting a hold of my process. But what I've been doing so far is I've been watching a lot of interviews from Rick Rubin and Zane Lowe and Nardwar because those are my favorite interviewers. And I think they all do a great job of like bringing down the press walls and just making artists feel like happy and comfortable. So I think what I learned from all of them is just like how to carry myself energetically, just being like really calm and like not pressing them too much. And then in terms of the questions I ask, what I'll usually do is I'll listen to their music like the day of or day before the interview. I'll go through, listen to their music. If there's any songs that like really catch me that I think I want to talk about, I'll like make a note. I'll usually just like write it down on a page in my notebook And then I'll watch some of their previous interviews and I'll like pull quotes that I think are interesting or I'll just take note of what they've been asked many times before to make sure I don't ask them that. (laughs) And then I'll go into it like I'll have some notes on my phone as I'm on my way over and I'll kind of look over what I think I want to ask them. And then once I get into the interview, I don't use any notes. I kind of just go with the flow. And if a point that I had thought about comes up in conversation, I'll ask it. But I kind of just like, once I'm there face to face with the artist, I just like let things flow very naturally. Hmm. And it probably builds your credibility, not only with them, but with your audience as well, because you're going a step further. You're not only saying, here are five songs that you should listen to if you're down on a Sunday, or here's like an artist you'd like if you're this type of person, but you're actually going the step further and you spoke about community. I'm guessing that'll build, or that has built so much community because you're giving artists the opportunity to share their story and further connect with the people that follow you. Yeah, I think it's been really good for community building. And I think like my favorite part of the interview so far is seeing people get really excited that the interview even happened because a lot of my community has been 
following like that good shit and like my TikTok since the beginning. And so I love just seeing everyone get excited that the interview happened in the first place. And it's just like so much excited energy. And then, yeah, I think that a lot of people say like, this was a really insightful interview. Like I learned so much about this artist. Yeah. It makes me really happy to be able to like have my community engage with that artist in a new way. And I just love like sharing the artists that I care so much about, like with my audience, because it's the same with interviews. I'm now having a lot of people ask me to do interviews and I'm having to say no to a lot of people because I I only want to interview artists I already like love, because if I can't come in with that like excited fan energy, it's going to be a weird interview. I'm the same way on my podcast. It's like, that's the greatest thing about this is I get to figure out who I want to interview. And then if they come on, it's just, oh, there's so many questions I want to ask. Like, there's so many things that I want to do. And there's just this, to your point, this raw energy of what that looks like. Go a little deeper into community because you brought it up a couple of times. And honestly, every time you bring up community, you smile. And so I want to hear a little bit more about community. Like, how are you cultivating community with your audience? Yeah, so I think community is so important. Something I've started saying recently is like, community over industry. Like I believe in the power of community over industry. Like the community that we've created with that good shit is full of brilliant people with incredible resources. And if we can come together as a community and help each other out, we can achieve things far beyond what any like label could help us achieve. And so, yeah, I think like fostering community has always been important for me. It's just having that good shit, the way that it grew was slow and constant. Well, not slow. It grew quickly, but it grew like very constantly and consistently. And that came from like constantly engaging with my audience, getting to know the people who are commenting and DMing and submitting and staying in contact with as many of those community members as I can. Like I have so many followers who I know their names. I know who they are. They come to my shows regularly. I'm like, what's up bestie. And I think it's really about just creating an environment where people feel safe and like you're their friend. And it's like, I'm not this like far away, like influencer superstar that like won't look at you in the face. Like I'm your friend and I want to give you a hug and I want to support you. And so I think that's what community is all about. And yeah, I just want my platforms to feel like a safe space for people and a place where people can go to, you know, find other people that they enjoy being around. Would you ever think of hiring people for from your community as you continue to grow and need more people for help? Yeah. So I actually have brought a couple people on already from the community. That good shit does not make a lot of money right now. So everyone we have right now is participating off the love. And I'm so grateful for all of them. But it has been really cool to start building a little team. We have Chris is my friend who helps with some Instagram posts and interviews. I've brought on like a little curation A&R team and we all like send each other new artists we're seeing, keep each other in the loop. And they help me go through submissions every week because there are a lot of them. Um, So I get their support with submissions. I have Sarah and Rhea who are my two amazing assistants who help with like administrative stuff and helping me film interviews when I'm out and about and come help at shows. We have Kat, who's an amazing writer and writes all of the That Good Shit album reviews. And yeah, so we have like a really good team right now and it's all come from the community and it's really, really dope. You know what's so cool is that a big thing in the 
traditional creator, traditional influencer space is like you're building on rented land, right? So you have your audiences on social media platforms and like how do you move off and how do you monetize? And and truthfully, a lot of creators don't really care to create community. It's like they love creating content. They love the act of it and, and, and how that affords them a really cool lifestyle. But community isn't so important. For you, what I'm seeing is you have your TikTok, so that's like the top of your funnel. And then you have your playlists, which is like kind of mid, more mid-funnel. You're giving a lot of value. There's people that care, really care for you to go deeper. You also have your interviews, which is also top of funnel. Then you have a little bit of merch. But then you got your live shows where you really can meet these people and continue to cultivate in real life. It seems like in two-ish, the two, three, whatever years that you've been doing this, like you figured out exactly how to build a music community, like the new lyrical lemonade in the way that you're building. Yeah. I'm glad you picked that up. That like they're a huge inspiration for me. I feel like a lyrical lemonade, soul election, things like that that are very community-based have inspired that good shit from the start. And I've always just recognize the strength in like community driven brands rather than just like you know brands that I feel like they have more distance between them and their audience I just really wanted to create a platform that was long lasting impactful and like actually meant something and I feel like that all comes down to community 100% yeah cool to hear that there's those are the influences because I feel like those are the brands I didn't realize I thought Lyrical Lemonade's been around for like five, six years. I didn't realize Lyrical Lemonade's been around for nine years. And it's wild because you look at it today and you're like, oh, Cole Bennett, curator, tastemaker, greatest and whatever. And you're like, no, but he started. Where like it was just him and his friends and no one really paid attention. And similar to you, but I think that's the coolest part. Similar to you, he just put on artists and was shooting music videos for artists that he loved local to Chicago. Like there was nothing else to it. And it's very similar to you. And you're just supporting artists that give you that feeling in your in your throat and in your chest and if that's how well it worked out for him I don't know I feel like it's pretty exciting to see what's gonna happen it is exciting <laughs> yeah I'm excited to see where things go mm. I can't even lie like I have a deep feeling that things are gonna go really great I'm overwhelmed at the thought of how things might grow but I have faith that you know I have a lot of really supportive people around me and I've love what I do and I love this music and so I'm excited to see where it grows I have no expectations of where it's going to grow or how fast we're going to get there but I have a really good feeling yeah who else are inspirations you talked about Cole you talked about some other music blogs you spoke about Pharrell early on you were talking a little bit about your dad as well like who else are the inspirations that you look towards either when you're thinking a strategy or getting inspired yeah, I have so many inspirations. Definitely my dad, uh, my mom. My mom is like the most badass woman ever. She's a business owner. And so she's the one who always tells me like, Annabelle, you need to learn how to say no and you need to be more mean to people. And, you know, she's like a huge inspiration for me. Rick Rubin is probably my greatest influence. I think the impact that Rick Rubin has had on music is crazy. And he also operates so much on feeling. Have you seen his documentary about Shangri-La on Showtime? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a nut. Funny enough, three weeks ago, me and my friend studied Rick Rubin and Pharrell Williams, which is why it's so funny. that, the, And we just watched interview on interview on interview. So yeah, I, I feel like we could go on for hours about a love on Rick Rubin. But yeah. Yes, that's amazing. So you know where I'm coming from. Like the way he can executive produce an album by sitting in a windowsill and talking about the artist's feelings. Like that's my dream. <laughs> like... I just love the way he relates to artists. He, like, I love his interviews and stuff. 
Yeah, he's amazing. And I got to go to Shangri-La earlier this year by a stroke of luck. And I was like in shambles. And yeah, just the space he's provided for artists, like emotional space and physical space. It's very crazy. Okay, you go to Shangri-La, one that's not something to pass over because that's insane. What, what stood out to you when you went to Shangri-La? The energy there was just really peaceful. It's so true. Like when you walk in there, there's that force field of just like, huh, everything's okay. It was very clean. It reminded me of my father. Like it reminded me of this like calm, clean beach vibe, very stoic, which is a lot of things I like connect about my dad. But yeah, I just mean like it felt very welcoming and peaceful and safe and uh it was beautiful. It was like the best experience in my life. You know that he's coming out with a book in the new year, hey? I did not know that. Well, now you know that. And I've been waiting. I've been waiting for the book to come out because I want to read that as soon as possible. It's so cool. To hear that. All right. I won't geek out on Rick Rubin for the rest of the interview. I want to ask you this, though. Okay, so we spoke community and that led to Rick Rubin. I feel like all good things lead to Rick Rubin. And maybe in the future, all good things are going to lead to that good shit. But on the other side, on curation... Okay, so there's the whole topic right now between AI-based curation and Spotify wrapped and Discover Weekly and all this stuff versus curators like yourself who are just spending time based off of feeling and maybe knowledge, putting that together. Like, do you feel impacted by AI? Do you feel scared that like all this new like, generative AI is coming up and it's like potentially taking over the world? I have a lot of feelings about AI. I mean, like, I use AI a lot to help with my curation. Like when I'm making custom playlists for people, I will go on like Spotify radio uh, and all that kind of stuff. And it's really helpful. I think that AI just can't throw a curveball. They can't throw a curveball like a human can. Like I'll throw a mean fucking curveball in a playlist and make it make sense. And the AI can't do that. <laughs> oh man, that is such a good saying. That needs to go on a t-shirt. AI can throw a curveball like I can. When that drops, let me know. I'm wearing that. I'm wearing that merch day in and day out. Okay, so interesting. So you see AI as more assistance, but it's not going to take over. If anything, it sounds like you're more powerful as a curator who comes from f feeling today versus letting AI take over for all type of curation. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't have like a huge opinion on AI and curation. I think like people are going to choose to do what they want to do. If you'd rather go for like an AI curated playlist than like a human curated playlist, like I'm not going to stop you. But I think there's always going to be people in the world who would rather have that human touch. Yeah, fair play. So when you talk curation, what makes a good curator? I think just like staying true to your music taste. Like even if I wholeheartedly disagree with your music taste, if you have a strong sense of what your taste is and you can put like a playlist together based on your taste, like that makes you a good curator. And I think it's just staying true to your taste. Got you. Well, it's interesting because when you look at like, there's always a discussion curator or creator. Like, do you curate or do you create? And it almost feels like talking to you and watching your stuff and seeing how you've built and, and all the people around you who are also curators, it almost feels like curators are more valuable because naturally you're adding value. Like what you're doing is you're saying, hey, there's so much of X in the world. I'm going to boil it down to something like tasteful for you, something that's so small that like you can enjoy as well, which is automatic value. So it makes sense that there's such a big community around what you're doing because you're just giving value every single day versus a TikTok trend where it's like, might be funny, but is it really value? Yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot recently because there are moments where I get stuck in the creator mode and I'm like, I just need to make a video. 
And it's not like, what value am I providing with this video? What world am I building with this video? You know, and I think curating is a lot more intentional and it implies a sense of expertise. Like if you are a curator of something, you have taste in that area and you are recommending something and you are, you know, building a story with that thing, not discrediting any kind of creators, like being a creator in itself, like you're creating and creating is magic. It's the best thing in the world. But I think the idea of a creator means like you can just throw shit up there and just make videos or make whatever. But being a curator implies another level of like taste and expertise. Mm, you can go to the school of that good shit and actually get a PhD versus going to the school of TikTok. And who knows what type of degree you'll get with. Facts. Okay, facts. Five questions. This has been a ton of fun. I have so many other questions, but I'm going to leave it to five questions that I always ask at the end of the interview. And then you are free to keep making playlists and making that good shit. Question one, what is the area or what is the environment that you're, you're most creative in? I think I'm most creative when I'm by myself, when I've had physical exercise that day and I smoke the perfect amount of weed. And ideally, if it's around sunrise or sunset, that is like perfect creativity mode. And when I don't have anything else to do for the rest of the day. Okay, so you talk curator. That's intention. Like, <laughs> you know exactly your pocket. I like that. Okay, the second thing, I usually ask what's the most impactful book you've read, but I'm going to go opposite for you. What is, well, not opposite, but different for you. What is the most impactful album that you've ever listened to? I know that's a really hard question. I'd say I have so many impactful albums. <laughs> Are we thinking like Lifetime or recently? Anything. What was the first album that came to your mind? Some Nights by Fun. Ooh, Interesting. Jack Antonoff. Nice. Yeah, I cool. loved that album so much. And that was the first concert I went to, the Fun Some Nights Tour. I was like 13 or 14. It was the first concert I went to where I went in the pit. I like ran away from my dad by myself and went front row in the pit. Jack Antonoff was right in front of me. And I was like, this is fucking awesome. And that's the first album that I like, not the first album, but that's an album like in my childhood that I just had the strongest connection with. And like, I really felt like a magical connection to music with that album. Love that. Okay, next question. If you were to give a TED Talk, what would it be called or what would you talk about? How to make the perfect playlist. And I would talk about how I make my playlists. <laughs> Amazing. Last two questions. Who is a music curator or who is someone in the music creator space that you feel is underrated right now? Outside of yourself. Oh my gosh, there's so many. I would say, I think you pronounce her name Elsie. She's a TikTok creator and she makes the most beautiful, in-depth videos that perfectly capture like feeling and the history and background of artists. She's amazing. I'm her biggest fan. And I think she's like incredibly underrated. I usually end off with like, who's someone that you would invest in? But I know that you do manage an artist. So you essentially are investing in an artist. Give me a quick shout out. Give me a little bit of an overview. Who is the artist that you manage and why are you so passionate about him? The artist I manage is named Diz. He is a jazz and hip hop artist. He's a student at Berklee College of Music, one of the best music schools in the country. He is about to turn 20. He is wise beyond his years. He makes music that's like incredibly soulful, very intricate. He's definitely for fans of people like Mike and Mavi. I always tell people it's like if you took Earl Sweatshirt and Robert Glasper and put him in a blender. But he's incredible. He plays the saxophone. He's about to drop an album at the end of the month. He's dropping a single this coming Friday. So by the time the podcast is out, the single should be out. It's called One Day. 
but yeah, he's amazing and I'm his biggest fan and I believe in him so much. So cool. Well, we will end it there. It has been an absolute pleasure. It's so cool to see what you built. It's so cool to see the energy that you bring and the excitement to help people in the space and big up people in the space and like create your own company at like such a young age is around music. Something you love is super, super cool. Intuition. That was the word that kept coming up. That was the feeling that I kept tapping into throughout this whole interview. And it's her intuition that is so cool to see. At such a young age, having someone that goes from, I didn't really know where I fit in in the music industry to, you know what, no, in two, three years, changing that around, following her intuition with the songs that she loves based off of feeling or with the people that she connects with or what she does or who she brings on her team. And it's just all her internal feeling. Having a creator, regardless of what they do and what their category is, who is so tapped into what they like and what they want and someone who's creating for their friends, and their immediate circle, it always feels like those people transcend their immediate circle very quickly because they're so defined in what they are. And so it's either you rock with them or you don't, but the people that rock with them really rock with them like they do with Annabelle and fans of her brand, That Good Shit. Well, again, another episode. I love that I get to bring on people that are so passionate and so early in their careers, but building so many cool things that if you have any recommendations of underrated creators you think I should bring on or you think I should interview, let me know. I'm at D-A-T-K-E-E-D, Datkeed on all social platforms. And if you like the episode, if you like the podcast, let me know. Drop a couple likes, or I should say drop a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And with that, have an awesome week. And as always, we'll see you next week.